This morning we are going to continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount, specifically uh, where we've been the last couple weeks is the Lord's Prayer. And as we look at this uh, passage, we, we looked last week, the first half of the, the model prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, and in that he called on them uh, to worship through their prayer. He called on them to rely on him through, through their prayer. And so uh, we are going to continue with that. And I, I think that most people come to God in prayer only as a last resort. They come to God and, and all, everything else has failed and, they, and they, they don't know what else to do so they go to God, but uh, they don't know God as their Heavenly Father. And we talked about that last week. We have the privilege of coming to God as our Heavenly Father. And even though He is the God of the universe, He is capable, He is to be trusted, and He can meet our needs. Prayer, as Jesus taught, is an acknowledgement, first, of who God is, and secondly, that we're incapable without Him. Um, many of you have, have heard and have followed the ministry of Billy Graham, and uh, he uh, has impacted many lives for Christ, for the cause of Christ. And when he was doing his huge meetings, he was known for being incredibly organized. His organization would come in, and everything was planned down to the last minute. In fact, uh, it is said that, he, that everything was planned down to the last minor detail. Some might even be tempted to say that his success was because he was so organized. And people came to Christ because everything was planned out. And while that's necessary, that's not the secret of Billy Graham's incredible success. One year, there was a Billy Graham crusade that was being held in Sacramento, California. The night before the crusade, as was often the practice, they would have uh, the choir that was going to sing would come together and they would practice. That particular night, the, uh, the practice went longer than they anticipated and it was quite late when they got out. One of the musicians in the choir was a, a pastor by the name of Ray Johnston. He said he was leaving the, the location and he was heading home and so he had to drive through downtown Sacramento and as he was driving along, he noticed a homeless man slumped uh, over the steps of the state capitol. He thought, you know, it's cold outside. It's almost midnight, and this really wasn't a good play, point, place to be at this time of night. And so he decided he couldn't ignore the situation of this homeless man. He was nervous as he approached the man, not quite sure what the man was going to do. The homeless man was crouched almost in a cocoon type of uh, uh, situation on the steps. And he reached out to him and he touched him and uh, he looked at him and he said, Sir, can I help you? Are you okay? The man pulled out of his cocoon and looked up at him and in an instant the pastor recognized who he was. It was Billy Graham. He said, what are you doing? And he realized what he was doing. Billy Graham had taken the time and he was laying, laying out in front of the whole city, and he was praying for the city to come to Christ. And he found out that this was a practice that Billy Graham would do when he would go to a city, he would find a location that uh, was very important to the city, and he would spend hours praying there. It wasn't the incredible preparation or work that brought thousands of people to Christ because of Billy Graham's ministry. It was prayer. 
And sometimes we think that, oh, we've got it all figured out and we can do it and we can accomplish things if, we're just, if we just plan everything out to the last minute, if we just do this, and yet we forget the fact that the power that, that actually lies in what we're doing is not our own. It's God's. When we come to the second half of this Lord's Prayer, we must realize that we cannot do anything until we become dependent on Him. Let's read through the Lord's Prayer, and you can follow along as I read. He says there in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That was what we talked about last week. Now we get into the new part uh, that we're going to talk about today. It says, Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for all that you do. And we are dependent on you. Lord, as we looked at last week, our desire should be to do your will. To see your will accomplished in everything that happens. And Lord, as we look at the second part of this prayer that Jesus Christ gave us as an example, we realize that our needs, our forgiveness, our deliverance from temptation is only possible when we come to you. Lord, we need to rely on you completely. And I pray that you'll help us to do that even as we listen, even as I preach this message. Lord, we ask this in your name. Amen. If Jesus were to be here and to elaborate on the second half of this prayer, he would tell you that it, you cannot understand the second half unless you understand the first half. And you won't apply the second half unless you apply the first half. And last week we talked about the first half is this, that we say, our Father in heaven, God, you are our Father. Because you're our Father, you care for us. But yet, on the other part of that, the end of that verse says, hallowed be your name. You are our Father, yet we are, to re- we are to exalt you. We are to lift you up. Your kingdom come. Our desire should be to expand the kingdom of God uh, and expand the gospel. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We oftentimes come to God and the first thing we do is we pray verse 11. Our needs. And yet we miss the importance of what God says. He wants us to know that we can only get what we need from God because God is our Heavenly Father. And He wants to give us what is good. Remember the verse that we looked at last week, and you can look at it in Matthew chapter 7, and describing God in a relationship, He says, uh, like a Heavenly Father, He says, Or which one of you, if His Son asks Him for bread, will give Him a stone? Or if He asks Him for fish, will give Him a serpent? If you then, who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those that ask of Him? Jesus here is reminding us that God is a giver of good gifts. And not only that, Jesus tells us that God wants to give us good gifts. So let's look this morning for a few minutes at verses 11 through 13 and see what is it that Jesus wants us to call on Him for, uh, call on God for, and that and that God will give to us. The first thing we notice is that Jesus instructs us to seek God's provision for our present. Notice what he says there in that verse, give us this day 
our daily bread. Two things that we want to notice, two parts of this that I want you to notice. First one is, is the substance of our need. What is the substance here? Here he specifically says our bread, but he's not talking about bread in the terms of uh, a loaf of bread. No, it's more than that. Give us this day our daily bread is talking about the physical needs that you have. You see, man can't be uh, spiritual unless first he's physical. Man can't have his uh, spiritual needs unless first he has his physical needs met. What's amazing about that is that God, the God who is the God of space, the God who is the God of time, the God of eternity, the God uh, who is infinitely holy, who holds all of the universe in his hands, guess what? He cares about your needs. That same God who cares about all of that cares that my physical needs are met. That same God is concerned with the fact that I have a meal to eat. I have clothes to wear. I have a place to rest. So we see in this passage, he says, give us this day our daily bread. That bread is referring to our physical needs. Martin Luther said it this way. He said, everything necessary for the preservation of this life is bread, including food, a healthy body, good weather, a house, a home, a wife, children, good government, and peace. He provides all of the physical elements of life, the necessities. But he doesn't necessarily pro- promise to provide us the luxuries of life. I don't think that we can look at this verse and say that God says it. He says there, give us this day our daily bread. And the daily is a constant uh, uh, need to go back to God the next day. It's a constant requirement for us to go to God for only our necessities. What God chooses in way of luxury is just part of his graciousness. But he promises to give us our necessities. Notice what, uh, what the writer of Proverbs says here. He says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Notice why. Lest I be full and deny and say, who is the Lord? Or, lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my my God. says there in that passage, he says, my desire is that you give me, uh, Lord, what I need so that I constantly am relying on you. Now some of you say here today, we live in America. We don't have needs. We don't, I mean, everything is provided for us. I don't need to pray, do I? The petition for us here is not maybe a desperate cry of one who's starving. But the essence of this prayer is really an affirmation that all of our substance comes from God. It's saying this, God, I want to let you know that I realize that you are the source of my life, my food, my shelter, and my clothing. It's saying, God, I understand that I have uh, all of these things because of you. We all have needs. We're not self-sustaining. God made us to need oxygen, water, food, love, security, relationship with others. To have a need is not weakness. To have a need uh, is a reliance on God. Second thing we want to notice, not only our substance, uh, the substance of our need, but the source of our provisions. As I said, as Americans, we tend to think that everything we have, we provide for ourselves. Maybe you've said this before, I, I make a living, I earn wages, I buy my, my bread, you know, what do I really need from God? Now most of you wouldn't say that. Well, that's kind of the way we operate, isn't it? 
I mean, you'll pray every, every day for every meal. You'll say, Lord, thank you for this food. But we just kind of do that because we're, we're trained to do that, right? But when was the last time you actually said something to this effect, Lord, thank you for the clothes that I have. Lord, thank you for my bed, my house, my car. Because the attitude that's given in this passage is not one of, Lord, I'm desperate, so please give. But it's one of, Lord, uh, uh, because I'm trying to do your will, as we looked at in the previous verse, Lord, help me to realize, help me to acknowledge that each thing that I have, the, the provisions that you give for me each day are from you. They're not something that I have done. As I said, we thank God for food because we're conditioned to do that. We do it every day. But do we really mean it? And that's what Jesus is after here. An acknowledgement of what we have is from God. Everything here in this world, He owns, He controls, He orders for us. So that we'll be thankful. After all, God is our Heavenly Father and He loves to provide what we need. We so often dwell on this verse, but really this verse is also an acknowledgement of who God is. He comes to us and says, I want to meet your needs. I want to supply for you. He doesn't hoard it in, over our heads. He doesn't, uh, he's not a loan shark. He doesn't give us and then, and then stand there and wait and go, oh, I can't wait till you default and I can come after you. He loves us. He wants to meet our needs. Jesus makes this very clear. If you look in your Bibles at Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25, notice what it says there. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Then notice the question he asks. Are you not of more value than they? And obviously the answer to that is obviously yes. God wants us to live without worry for our daily needs. Why? Well, notice, if you will, at Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. What does he say there? After he goes through this whole passage that we'll look at over the coming weeks, and after he goes through this whole passage of God providing for our needs, he says in verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God. You see, because God's desire for us is to live without worry so that we can seek him. And so part of that model prayer is Jesus saying, acknowledging that God provides for us and thanking Him for that and asking Him to provide for our needs so that that's not the first thing we have to seek. We seek Him. We seek God for our needs and He provides what, our, what we need. This is true about everything in life, not just our physical needs, not just our food needs. If you ask wisdom, what does God say? He will give it to us. If you need courage, what does God tell us? He will give us strength. If you need health, God will meet that need as well. Why? Because He's our Heavenly Father. And He loves us. Notice the second part of that. Jesus instructs us to seek God's pardon for our past. Look, if you will, at Matthew chapter 6 and verse 12. He says there, And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. The question is, why should we forgive? Why should we forgive? Think right now, if you will, we, we talked about on a Sunday night a couple weeks ago, we talked about forgiveness. Think right now, if you will, of someone in your life who has hurt you. 
Why should you forgive them? I want to look at three reasons quickly why we should forgive. First one is for freedom for our soul. Why should we forgive? Because there is a freedom that for our soul. If you look at that passage, he says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven. There's an understanding there. It's already been done. Why? Because so many times we live with, with this hurt and anger towards others, and what it does is it actually captivates you. You become imprisoned to your own unforgiveness. Maybe that's you today. Maybe there's someone in your life that you have not forgiven, and because of that, you are in a prison of your own doing. Someone once said this, forgiveness is setting a prisoner free and then discovering the prisoner was actually you. We think, oh, I'm letting this person out of this problem, but really, in reality, it is you that's been captive. You've been imprisoned by your own unforgiveness. You've been imprisoned by their transgression. And it's hurting you. When you become unforgiving, you become what you hate. And through that, innocent people get hurt. I've heard many stories of people who hold a grudge for so many years and ends up eating away at them. I heard a story after the Civil War. Two brothers uh, were living in Boston and they received a piece of land as an inheritance from their deceased father. One of the brothers was still uh, part of the army, and so he was busy uh, away serving the military, and the other one came home, and, and the two brothers had had something happen, and no one quite knows what it was, and, and, uh, but something happened, and they had, they had an animosity towards each other. They had a hatred towards each other. So the brother, who was not off in the military, came home, claimed the piece of lamb, and decided he was going to build himself a home there, and so he built a very large home. And he left his brother, the soldier, a just tiny morsel of land left on the property. The brother comes home, the soldier returns home, and he founds that his inheritance had been depleted, and he only had a piece of property that was five feet wide. Well, what's he going to do with that? So he uh, decides he's going to take matters into his own hands, and he builds a house in that property. Tall house that was big enough to block his brother's view because he was so angry at his brother. Here's, here's a picture of the house. The house on the right is the brother's house. It's actually been added to over the years. This was built in 1870. The house in the middle was his house, and he built it to block his brother's view. Why? You know, this house became known as, uh, the name of this house, even today, it's in Boston, it's called the Spite House. Why? Because he built it in spite, in hatred towards his brother. You know, forgiveness is something that uh, when we find ourselves in such anger towards someone, in such uh, um, bitterness towards someone that we actually find ourselves captive towards it. Forgiveness does not ignore the reality of the offense, but in fact it validates that the offense occurred. There's a writer, Eldridge, that wrote this. He said this, Although allow God to bring up the hurt from our past. Acknowledge that it hurt, that it mattered, but that we choose to extend forgiveness. 
This is not saying it doesn't really matter. It's not saying I probably deserved part of it somehow. Forgiveness says it was wrong. What you did mattered, but I release you from it. This then gives you freedom. You know, we live um, sometimes with so much hurt towards people that we actually cause ourselves to be captive. And so why should we forgive? First of all, we, give, we forgive to get freedom for your soul. But the second thing is we give to give freedom for the offender. This is no easy task. And maybe you don't want to forgive. Maybe the emotions aren't there. Maybe you say, this person hurt me and I do not want to forgive them. One author said, don't wait to forgive until you feel like forgiving. You will never get there. Feelings take time to heal after the choice to forgive has already been made. Maybe you need to say, you know, I need to forgive this person and I don't want to forgive them. I don't feel like forgiving them. Uh, There's nothing in my heart that says to forgive them, but I will forgive them because it's what God wants me to do and over time you will find that, that your feelings will follow. If you look back at the passage in Matthew chapter 6, notice what it says there. It says, forgive our debts. It's interesting that he used debts because it's more than just uh, debts. But the reason that the debts is used is because the forgiveness in this passage is uh, is a financial term that applies to canceling away someone's actual financial debt. But forgiveness goes, uh, it's not just dealing with financial here, but it gives you that word picture. It gives you that idea of someone owes you something and you say, you know what, I'm going to cancel that. Thank you. Choosing to forgive is a personal, conscious, powerful choice of the will. Choosing to release the offender from his or her indebtedness uh, to you causes you to be like the Lord Himself. Notice, if you will, in Ephesians chapter 4 what it says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. I've noticed with this passage, and I've taught this many times, but notice uh, the difference between verse 31 and verse 32, if you will. Okay, 30, 31 uh, goes down to the word malice. Notice, notice all of those, those things there. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. All of those are reactions. Someone hurt me, I'm bitter. Someone wronged me, I'm going to have wrath. Someone did something against me, I'm going to be angry. And we could go on. But notice verse 32, starting in, uh, where it says be. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving. All of those are not reactions. They're actions of the will. It says, you know what, even though you did this, I'm not going to respond in like. I'm going to respond with something completely different. And forgiveness is saying, yes, you may have done this, and the likely uh, uh, action that follows from that is bitterness, anger, wrath. But instead, I'm going to do something completely different. And I'm going to be forgiving. I'm going to be kind. In Matthew chapter 6 here, Jesus said, pray for us to be able to be forgiven, but there's the understanding there of that we've already forgiven our debtors. We've already done it. We've already released ourselves from that. We've already released them from that as well, from their debts. We see there that we have, when we forgive, we have freedom for our soul, we have freedom for the offender, but we also receive God's grace. Notice what it says in verse 12, forgive us our debts, God will do that when, what? 
we forgive our debtors. Unless you forgive, God can't forgive. Unless you deal with the issue, it remains hidden from the healing touch of God. When we decide to forgive, healing begins to happen. And when healing begins to happen, God can forgive us. You say, well, isn't God love? Isn't God gracious? Shouldn't God forgive me anyway? Yes. But what is repentance? Repentance is acknowledging my sin and and turning from it. And if I'm not willing to acknowledge my sin and turn, turn from it, then do I really acknowledge who God is? No, I don't. Because God is a God of forgiveness. Forgiveness proves the work of Christ in our lives. A general many years ago said to John Wesley, he said this, I will never forgive what that person did and I will definitely never forget. To which John Wesley replied, then sir, I hope you never sin. The idea of what he's saying there is is we say, I'm not going to forgive this person no matter what they did, no matter uh, um, what anyone says to me, I'm not going to forgive them because I can't. God says in this passage, unless you forgive, you will not be forgiven. We need the pure grace of God's forgiveness. Do you deserve God's forgiveness? No. No. I don't deserve God's forgiveness. No one in this room deserves God's forgiveness, but He gives it to us because of grace. And so the question is, do you have that type of grace for other people? You say, well, they don't deserve it. Exactly. That's what forgiveness is. God loved us enough to forgive us. All have sinned, so all need forgiveness. If you have never experienced forgiveness, then you are subject to wrath. If you have experienced forgiveness, then you know freedom. This verse is simply saying, Lord, forgive me like I'm trying to do to others. It implies that we are forgiving. We see Jesus instructs them to seek God's pardon for the past. And then finally, Jesus instructs us to seek God's path for the future. Notice, if you will, verse 13. He says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In order for us to to acknowledge this, in order for God to forgive us, in order for God to deliver us from evil, there's three things that that are involved with that. First of all, we must realize the reality of spiritual warfare. There are some people that are clueless to that. But the Bible tells us we are in a spiritual battle. Over and over again, we see, especially in the New Testament, the analogy of battle. We see in Ephesians, Paul says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We see uh, uh, here in Corinthians, you can look at the verse here, he says, for we walk in the flesh, though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war uh, to the flesh. For our weapons of warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We see throughout Scripture, it talks about the idea we're in a spiritual battle. We need to acknowledge that. You need to acknowledge every day when you get up, you are in a spiritual battle. Satan is trying to get you to stumble. If you're here this morning and you are not a Christian, then Satan is trying to prevent you from getting to that point. If you're here today and you are a Christian, Satan is trying to get you to fall so that the testimony of God will falter. 
We're in a battle. We need to realize the reality of that spiritual battle. But the second thing, we need to acknowledge the deficiency in dealing with temptation. You and I cannot defeat temptation alone. Someone prayed this once. Dear God, so far today I've done everything right. I haven't gossiped. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been greedy. I haven't been grumpy, nasty, selfish, overindulgent, and I'm very thankful for that. But in a few moments, I'm going to get out of bed. And from then on, I'm probably going to need a lot of help from you. Isn't that, isn't that reality? <laughs> and we wake up in the morning and we're, we're thinking, okay, I'm doing okay now, but in a few minutes... In a few minutes, something's not going to go my way and I'm going to get angry at, at this person. I'm going to hop in my car and I'm going to drive and I'm going to get angry at this driver. I'm going to get to work and, and someone's going to get a promotion that I thought I deserved and I'm going to be bothered by that. I'm going to experience jealousy. And then, and then I'm going to watch my coworkers goof off when I'm working and I'm going to I'm gonna under, not understand why I'm not getting treated the way I should. Then I get home and, man, my family, they should be coming and giving me everything I want, but they don't. How dare they? And temptation comes over and over and over again. And we face temptation, and you know what? On our own, we can't defeat it. And here in this passage, he's saying, don't lead us into temptation. The Bible reveals to us over and over again, where does temptation come from? It comes from Satan. It comes from self. And each of these things lead us to do either right or wrong. And either way they lead us can lead us to ruin. So we're wise to come to God and say, God, lead us not towards temptation, but towards righteousness. And God, help us. That leads us to the third point. We need to realize there's temptation. We need to acknowledge our deficiency in dealing with temptation. But thirdly, we need to ask God for, for, for deliverance. We need to ask God for deliverance. Do you take your temptation seriously? Everyone in this room faces temptation, and you all face different kinds of temptation. It might be that you face, one of you faces a temptation for anger. It might be someone else in here faces a temptation for lust. But how do we face it? We need to ask God, God, deliver us. And I notice what it says in this passage. It says, lead us not into temptation. One author said that of all the resources God has provided for overcoming temptation, the most effective is avoidance. Not, not going to that place. This does not mean we run from everything that is difficult, but it does mean that we don't place ourselves in an area of danger of sin. We don't place ourselves in an area of temptation. Notice what Paul says to Timothy. He says, flee youthful passions. Flee youthful passions. You say, I'm, I'm 90 years old. I'm not youthful anymore. Guess what? You still face youthful passions. As we all do. Notice what he continues, he says, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. I love that analogy because it's the idea of, uh, of pursuing after something that you want desperately. 
Now, all of you have things that you want, and so you, you come at it, and you pursue after it. You ever seen a little kid who wants something? What do they do? I mean, there's nothing that's going to stop them. Nothing. And they will do whatever it takes to get that item. And that's what he's talking about here. Pursue after Then notice what he says at the end of the the passage there in verse 23. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. The idea of what he's saying is don't have anything to do with those things that cause you to stumble, to sin. We would be wise each morning to mentally go through our day and ask God for alternatives to foreseeable tempting situations. You sit down in the morning and you pray and you say, God, I know, I know that if I go this direction, I'm going to be tempted. And so, Lord, help me. Drive me to a different way. Allow me to not be there. Just as a good father wants to keep his children out of a danger and onto a safe path, God is ready to answer our prayer to leave us, lead us in the path of righteousness. God seeks for us to do that. But you know what? Sometimes it's unavoidable. God, help me when I'm in that temptation to deliver me from evil. Deliver me. Help me to become like Christ, who when he was in temptation that he couldn't avoid, he fought against it. One time I was driving along and I saw a car in front of me with bumper stickers, a whole bunch of them. You know, sometimes when you see those, you're like, maybe I shouldn't read these. But uh, this particular one, I could tell it was all animals. They were an animal lover, and they had some weird ones. If you're an animal lover, no offense, but uh, they had some weird bumper stickers, and there was one that said this, Lord, this is the bumper sticker, Lord, help me to become the type of person my dog thinks I am. I thought, that's ridiculous. (laughs) You know, that person needs some help. If you have that bumper sticker, again, I don't mean any offense. But as I, was, as I was looking at that, something hit me. That should be my prayer, not about the dog. But Lord, help me to be the kind of person that you think I am. Because the Bible tells us that when, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, and when we come to Him by faith, that God takes the righteousness of Christ and places it on our account. And God forgives us of our sin so that when He looks at us, He does not see our debt of sin. He sees the righteousness of Christ. When I come to God, I say, Lord, help me to be kind of the person that You already think I am. Help me to live up to that. And then you look at this passage, help me, Lord, not to be led into temptation, but deliver me from evil. As we look at this model prayer, as we look at this Lord's prayer, prayer is not about getting what we want from God. Prayer is not about getting God to love us. Prayer is about getting to know the God who already loves us and wants to show us His love abundantly and wants to give us those things. My challenge for you this morning, are you praying uh, with a thankful heart for God to meet your needs? Are you praying as one who's already forgiven for God to forgive you of your daily sins? And are you praying that God will guide you and direct you away from temptation towards righteousness? Let's pray.